there were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello and welcome to this month's Flicking, our regular retool through our back catalogue of favourite films which are put forwards in front of two of our friends, colleagues, judges, cynics, film lovers to see if they are thumbs up, thumbs down or scream into the abyss. I've made it sound much harsher than it is. We're usually quite friendly on this bit. It's no rated or dated. I am Mickey Noonan and I am joined as ever by Yosra Osman. Yosra, hello. Hiya. And by Hannah Dunleavy. Hannah, hello. Hello. You thought about whether you wanted to say hello to me then, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, I thought about saying just a bit more and then I thought, I'm going to be talking for ages. I always panic about what to say when you say hello to me. I wonder if I should be witty <laughs> or something. I just uh, end up just going, hiya. <laughs> I love it. On Outside the Box, I always say something stupid and Jen gets really annoyed. That's our, <laughs> that's our dynamic. <laughs> Hannah, you're right, you are going to be talking for ages. You're going to be wanging on about one of your favourite well, films. God. Tell us what you had us watch and why you love it. Well, I'm having us watch Raising Arizona because it was a panic pick. Not to say that it's not one of my favourite films, because I do absolutely adore it. But just as a small story, because I was going to pick John Sayles' Lone Star, and as I said to you, it wasn't available. And I picked this. And about three or four days ago, I saw just randomly on Twitter, somebody say, oh, my God, John Sells Lone Stars got onto Amazon oh. for the first time ever. So they heard me, is what I'm saying. And that's the power that I have. You are ridiculously powerful. And I'm guessing that's what we're going to be watching in three months' time. Probably. <laughs> if it's still on there. <laughs> It'll have gone again. Okay. Raising Arizona, the Coen Brothers' second film, the first one I ever saw of theirs. And so... While I wouldn't put it at the top of the list of the best Coen Brothers film, it is certainly my favourite Coen Brothers film, probably because it was the first one I ever saw, although also because it's hilarious. Have you guys seen it before? I'm guessing you have. I know you have, Mickey. Yes, I have seen it many, many times before. Yeah, seen it once before. So the first time I saw it, I was 14. And interestingly, got it on video. Interestingly, I knew all about this from about a year and a half before. My dad has two sisters who live in America. One of them had come back on a holiday and basically given us a blow-by-blow account of this hilarious film that she'd seen at the cinema, which turned out to be Racing Arizona. I always say on the podcast, I'm very lucky to live in a city now that has an art cinema. Didn't when I was growing up, so we had to wait for this to come out on videos. It's one of those films I actually remember there being a high level of anticipation for us to watch it, and we all absolutely loved it. So that probably also explains why I love it. It's very much a Dunleavy family film. But apart from that, it's pretty simple. It makes me laugh in a number of different ways. A lot of it is sight gags and slapstick. But much like Victoria Wood and the League of Gentlemen, the Coen brothers have got like a a real sort of preternatural understanding of what words are funny, just on their own funny. And I mean, by way of example, rambunctious which is just a <laughs> hilarious word and gets used absolutely hilariously here it's even got a few political jokes there's one about there's a sort of hidden one about 
Dick Nixon's undersecretary for agriculture being uh, being behind the plan to rob the bank, which is a nice little politics gag there. It's also like the perfect introduction to the Cohen brothers' world. If somebody said to me, you know, I've never seen one, where shall I start? I would probably say here, because if you don't like Raising Arizona, you might be able to sort of wipe out a huge chunk of their film that you're not going mm, to like. theory. Except maybe different ones, like obviously the best one, which we've talked about at length on here, which is the country from men. It's set in beautifully scenic Arizona, which it's lovely to look at. And like I say, it's a perfect introduction, the comedy hair and all. But in fact, the <laughs> opening 11 minutes are just incredible. They're just a masterclass in how to get a large amount of information into a relatively small amount of time. I'm going to try and do the plot in an even quicker and less complicated fashion. Petty Crook, H.I. McDonough, has his mugshot taken by police officer Ed so many times. They eventually fall in love and marry, but they can't have kids. And in desperation, they steal one of the Arizona quints who'd been born to a local businessman, Nathan, Arizona. It all goes terribly wrong when two of H.I.'s mates from the inside break out of prison and insist on hiding out at his trailer. But if you think they're the bad guys, hold on to hold your horses, hold on to your horses, hold your horses, <laughs> because here comes Leonard Smalls, a bounty hunter conjured from the depths of hell and or high's imagination. So... I want to start with Nicolas Cage because it's interesting that I'm entirely ambivalent about him as an actor and yet he appears in two of my favourite films. And he has made so much shit. So much shit. And yet he has made two of my favourite films. And I think I think he's absolutely incredible in this. It was written with him in mind. And he absolutely understands the brief, which, to be fair, isn't always the case with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and he just knocks it out of the park. Agreed? Yes, right. I, but I am a big fan of Nicolas Cage. And I love the stupid shit he does normally. You and my mum. So, you knew. What yeah. was that diagram? I, know, well, I, can't, I can't help it. I just find, I just really enjoy a Nicolas Cage film. But yes, in, in this, he is particularly brilliant. Even though, I'm sorry to say it, Hannah, this is not one of my favourite films. But, but we'll come on to that. Yeah. Mick. I am quite fond of Nicolas Cage and whether that is because as my mum said you know you just have one of those actors and you'll just watch anything they're in for me that's Nicolas Cage and I was like bloody hell mum you have watched some shit you have watched some absolute <laughs> screamers yes. but I have got quite a soft spot for him obviously love him in Face Off obviously love him in yeah. Con Air but I think he is sort of the perfect level of Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona yeah. he never goes too far but obviously too far for Nicolas Cage is like off the page and into a field and over the hills and far away for most people. But he, he's not reining it in, don't get me wrong, but he plays yeah. it so perfectly. Yeah, it, it's an absolutely powerhouse performance from Cage in this. Yeah. When, um, when he's having the end fight with Leonard Smalls and it's just him and he's got nothing, you know, he's got a bit of wood and then he uses that. <laughs> On a couple of occasions, he stops and does this weird little, like he's going to throw up because he's so terrifying. Mm, yeah. And he does yeah, this yeah. Little, little cringing thing. And it's so funny. And they're so close on him when he's dragged out from under that car. Yeah. Like, it's just perfect with his face and shot. Yeah. I also think he's very handsome in this film. You can totally see why Ed has fallen for him. He's very charming and he's handsome and his his hair is another character. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, I love his hair. I love his hair. <laughs> Even when he's old, right at the end, it's just a tiny bit. That little, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. 
It's so perfect. Great touch. Holly Hunter also, this was written with her in mind, because she's to share a flat with Frances McDormand, who also makes a brief cameo in this. It doesn't get credit, interestingly. So it was written with her in mind. And as you all know, I, I, I love crying as much as if you add anything to crying, it becomes hilarious. And her talking and crying at this it's so great just when they get in the car and she's just going i love him so much it's so good it is so it properly makes me honk when she does that it's so good yes okay yours run yes tell me your feelings about raising arizona oh do when you picked this last month i thought oh gosh because i have a bit of a weird relationship with the coen brothers in general and with all of their films their films, I can appreciate the craftsmanship. I can appreciate that, you know, it's very cleverly written. But I just don't always get on with them. And I'm almost ashamed to admit that because I can see when I'm watching Raising Arizona that it is a great film, objectively. And I can, you know, I, I know a lot of people find it really funny. But for me, I don't know. It's solid but I'm I just don't love it I find its humor quite hit and miss maybe it's because you mentioned the slapstick and I'm not always the biggest fan of slapstick so it kind of some bits really land and some bits are great um and I bloody love John Goodman in particular I think he's brilliant so that's amazing and I kind of just wish that it was that level the whole way through the film but I I think that's just my own personal my personal style and like I said Coen Brothers they I love some of their films, but others really annoy me. So I think it's just my relationship with them. I have to say I agree with you. And that's why I said at the top, it's not their best film by any stretch of the imagination, but it is the one I am most sentimentally attached. It's probably the one I would yeah. save from a fire if they were going to lose them. Because yeah, it is quite flawed. I think John Goodman is hilarious and William Forsyth is great in this as well. It's the only time I've seen William Forsyth not be genuinely chilling yeah and it, that was, and I say that, it's interesting because he's the nice one he's the one who takes to the baby yeah yeah you know he he's the gentle one uh and normally he yeah pretty Terrifying. much a psychopath in almost everything yeah i think one of the other things i love about this is it, it's one of those films that you can watch and you can see about a hundred other films in it some of which came before and some of which came after so how do you get from Sam Raimi to Wes Anderson. Like, yeah. this is this is the step in mm. the middle. How do you get from Terrence Malick to Edgar Wright? This is the bit in the middle. Because that opening bit is so bad, that so crazy bad, lad. Yeah. You know, just yeah. the flat intonation. But then I, the first time I watched Hot Fuzz and Simon Pegg goes back into town and he's all like, you must have seen Hot Fuzz, both of you. Yeah. Yes. And well, for anyone who hasn't seen it that's listening, there's a bit where he sort of goes back into town and he's covered in guns and he has two guns poking out the back in a cross deck like that in small stars. And you could just, you just see it and you're like, Edgar Wright loves Raising Arizona. I know that now without noodling. Edgar Wright loves Raising Arizona. You could just see it in there. So I wondered if you'd seen anything in there that reminded you about the stuff. Definitely with Anderson. In fact, even that first sequence, actually, especially the second time I watched it, because the first time I saw this film, it was... Well, I must have been about 17, so quite a long time ago, and I wasn't really into film as much as I am now. But watching it again, it's amazing how much Wes Anderson actually struck out, yeah. stuck out to me, um, just in terms of 
kind of the production design, but even some of the dialogue, it really made it really reminded me of him. The Arizona House is really yes. Wes Anderson. They're both is, sitting yeah. in their individual chairs, like yeah, like a stage play almost. Like, yeah, out of the shot, like yeah. This came first, though, right? This is pre Wes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah. So this for me, I think this is the most Mickey Noonan of the Hannah Dunleavy flicking picks, to be honest with you, because it's big, it's silly, the plot is very simple and, and kind of doesn't really matter. It's full of slapstick humour. It's very funny. Big action scenes, big fight scenes. It is basically, when I was watching this, given how recently we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it massively reminded me of the cartoon at the beginning. Oh, Everything about really this is, is a cartoon. <laughs> it's a Tex Avery cartoon. It's cartoon violence. When they have their fight in the kitchen, when um, Nicolas Cage and John Goodman have the fight in the in the kitchen in that house, there's a fist put through a wall. It's almost like you're watching a cartoon. Like you go through the tiles. The tiles aren't real. It turns out they're just cardboard. And it makes it, for me, better watching it as a cartoon played by real life actors I think it makes it a better film and I think because it obviously stretches credulity quite a lot it really plays with what's real what could actually happen but it has this cartoon sensibility that means that I can suspend disbelief and just go with it so that's what it reminds me of it reminds me of cartoons yeah I feel like I need to re-watch it with that kind of mindset Mickey because there's some of the things you said actually I, I'm not sure i quite enjoyed about the film the fact that you know it doesn't really go anywhere it seems a bit silly but now you're talking about having it with that kind of cartoon sensibility I'm like oh yeah uh-huh. I get that now yeah. so I'm, I'm gonna have to rewatch it again <laughs> Yay! <laughs> what do you mean by it doesn't really go anywhere Yasma I'm interested in that the, the plot to me seems a bit aimless but maybe that's because when I first watched it and actually again this time I, I expect more out of the storyline of them taking a baby you know and, that, and that's I know it's, it's kind of it is the running thread but it then it goes into the silly nurse and you get it, it's actually quite action-packed the Ugh. film which isn't a bad thing but I don't know maybe I expect more of it in terms of a, a plot it does feel like it just kind of goes here and goes there and it's a bit zany and silly mm. but like I said I think I need to question my sense of humour because <laughs> that doesn't always work for me. That cartoon thing, it pretty much resets. Everything at the end is back to normal. The only difference yeah. is that he's not in jail, but everything kind of resets. The difference being he's not in jail and Leonard Smalls has been blown up. Right, that They yeah. are the two big changes, but everything else is as it started, which again is very cartoon. And that's I totally understand what you're saying, Yosma, because it doesn't go anywhere. There are no repercussions from them stealing a child. That's all like, yeah. well, he's back now. That's fine. And, you know, Nathan Arizona is kind of understanding as to why it happened and gives them some warm advice before sending them back out the window. So, yeah, it, it does have, again, that kind of Simpson sensibility of like we reset at the end of an episode or a sitcom sensibility. We reset at the end of the episode so all the characters are in place for like the next episode. It's interesting, isn't it? Because just from being in 1987, it sort of sits on the sort of edge of it being utterly hopeless to not be able to have children and there being lots of alternatives to not having children. In as much as that, the quints are obviously IVF babies. I have a friend who was one of the first IVF babies. I think he was like the third one ever born. So that, that was like what the late 70s, the early 80s, but it was still sort of quite expensive and it didn't always work. So... Actually, had it been set 10 years before or 10 years after, that plot in itself 
might not have worked so well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's interesting as well, because you just said, obviously, it's the 80s. This is one of the very few 80s films that I think exists that doesn't scream 80s. Scream 80s, If you, yeah. if you told me this was like 10 yeah. years later, I would believe you, apart from that plot point would be different. Because it just yeah. feels quite timeless, actually, which I think is credit to the Coen brothers as well. I was just about to say that to me, it feels like a 70s film for some reason. It just has that kind of air to it. So I keep having to remind myself it's 87 because I always feel like it's a lot older than it is. Mm. Going back to your point, Yosra, about there being a lot of action, but the plot not always working for you. Yeah. So they make Blood Simple and it's reasonably successful and they get sort of some money to make another film. Well, what they really want to make is The Hudsucker Proxy, which actually is one of those films, Cow Brother films, that doesn't really do that much for me. I've only seen it a couple of times. It will be down at number nine or ten of the list of ones of, of Cow Brothers film. But they said they didn't have the money to make it, so they needed to take this opportunity and they wrote this and they wrote it in about three weeks but it is really tight it's like an hour of 40 minutes or something it is unbelievably tight so even though they had a budget it was a somewhat restricted budget and it made an absolute fortune i think it was probably pound for pound their most successful film as in what it cost to make compared to what it brought in at the box office that's interesting yeah but it, it's interesting in as much as you think, I wonder if a lot of the problems that maybe you saw in it might have been fixed had they had more time to deal with this or had they chosen to make the Hudsucker proxy and then push this one back. But would people have wanted that? Because to a lot of people, this is a near perfect film. I mean, I know people that really, really love this for the reasons that I've said I don't love this. Mm, so yeah, I, don't, I, I do feel like I'm in the minority, really. I think it definitely has flaws. But I think the bits that really make me laugh or, you know, just really do it for me are so brilliant. It doesn't, it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, and, and actually, the bits, like I say, with my, my auntie gave me some blow-by-blow plot account of it. I can even remember her repeats lines. And the line that I remember tickling me sort of then and probably for the first, like, 10 years or whatever of me watching it was uh, the line about, you know, not unless round is amusing. Um, when he's talking <laughs> yeah, about the, the balloons. balloons. But actually, now I think my favourite bit might be when they go in and rob that bag with the baby in the car seat. <laughs> and there's all that stuff that's going on. And then John Goodman says to her, we're just about ready to start the robbery proper. After they've been in there for like five minutes, fucking around with the baby. <laughs> yeah. And that's just a lovely image then with the shotguns with him in his car seat. Yeah. It is wonderful. I really love the... The, the chase basically when Nick Cage is just running yeah, through the streets with yeah. the pantyhose on his head and the soundtrack oh, I'm bit, sure we'll get yeah. onto the soundtrack but it is just absolutely perfect and he's so relaxed in his running and he's running through the supermarket and several different people are shooting at him and there's a pack of dogs and it, after I think there's him. four separate people who are shooting at him yeah. at different points. and he just yeah. like casually changes aisles and keeps running and it's just so glorious and cartoon like that it just yeah. oh it fills me with absolute joy and he just wanted some nappies guys he just wanted some <laughs> and you forget or I do I forget the dogs are there every time until the dogs come in like when the uh, the guy <laughs> The, the original guy that he robs is in front of the van and they thought the dogs just pile in and take him out. Yeah. 
No, I do. I do really like that sequence with him holding the huggies and this, these pantyhose and Teddy just looks so ridiculous, but so charming at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that soundtrack is yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It really transports you to with that kind of this isn't real life. There's recognisable stuff in there, but because yodeling is such a weird or or clever manipulation of a real voice, it does give you that slightly other sense, right? Like this isn't quite normality. This is a a different Um, normal. Yeah. Are you going to watch it again, Yosra, as a cartoon? (laughs) I'm not going to promise, but if I do watch it again, (laughs) I will think about it from your perspective, Mickey, because I think that might help. (laughs) <laughs> my understanding but like I said I don't think this is a bad film I actually think it's a really great film it just doesn't always land mm. well on me so you know what's quite interesting is I think apart from John Goodman and Holly Hunter and I might be wrong people might correct me I mean and obviously Francis McDormand although it's only a little bit I don't think William Forsyth ever worked with them again Nicolas Cage never worked with them again it's interesting because they tend to have like a roster and obviously yeah. John Goodman I think is in every other film that yeah. they make. Uh, I mean yeah he's in a huge amount of them and Holly Hunter's in I'm sure she's in other ones of theirs but I've got the top of my head I can't remember it but it's interesting they didn't work with Nicolas Cage again because there was yeah a magic it worked in this it really really worked it absolutely worked. And part of me was just about to go, but he's such a huge character that, like, would people not see him as the character he is yeah. in Amazing Arizona? But at the same time, John Goodman in Lebowski is Walter. Like, yeah. but you just believe in him being someone else. I think maybe it's because Nicolas Cage is always a version of Nicolas Cage, right? Yeah. So they've used up their yeah. Nicolas Cage quota. Yeah, perhaps. I was, oh, and that's we need what to I see him say. in Ghost Rider. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, when we were doing... Um, so I think it does dystopia. We watched a couple of awful, awful Nicolas Cage films on Netflix that Lucy Beck. Um, oh, yeah. And they were just truly, truly dreadful. But, yeah, I mean, he does what he likes, I suppose, doesn't he? Every now and then there's just a gem, Hannah. Uh, there banger. really, really is. <laughs> I think the only other film that would be a Hannah Dunleavy pick that is actually a Mickey Noonan, like, in my very small bucket of what I like in it. I love all films, but what I keep choosing for flicking, yeah. and we're about to get onto this, obviously, because it's my pick next. I think the other one that you could quite comfortably put in there is Con Air yeah. as well, though. Yeah, yeah, I love Con Air. We've already done it now, unfortunately, Yosra. We did it in... Um, okay. In something else? I don't know. I mean, I'm all up for doing it again. Dunleavy but... does Disaster. We yeah. did it in. in that, yeah. It is my pick next, and there'll be absolutely no gas of surprise as we go back into Steven Spielberg's back catalogue. <laughs> and we're going to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, interesting. Yours was just giggling. <laughs> no, no, no reason in particular. <laughs> <laughs> She's just giggling and, and mouthing, widen your horizons, Mickey. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> Standard issue for all women.